0: Welcome to the Fit for Privacy podcast with Punit Bhatia. This is the podcast for those who care about their privacy. Here your host Punit Bhatia has conversations with industry leaders about their perspectives, ideas and opinions relating to privacy, data protection and related matters. Be aware that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not legal advice. Let us get started.
1: Digital identity and metaverse, these are two of the most commonly debated topics. On one hand, we say digital identity helps you protect privacy. And on the other hand, we say, how will we protect privacy in a metaverse world? In fact, what is metaverse? These are some of the important questions, important topics. And this is what we are going to discuss in our episode today. And we have with us David Lukacs, who brings along 25 years of experience in cryptographic credentials, self sovereign identities, and he has a global identification around how he understands, how he solidifies his knowledge around digital identity and protects users in an emerging digital space. So let's go and talk to him. So here we are with David Lukacs. So welcome, David. Thank you, Vinique. It's great to be here this morning. So David, let's start with a simple question. What does GDPR mean for you in one word?
2: That is, um, uh, I thought about that long and hard and uh, I think to me it means control. It's the ability for a user to control and and subsequently manage their, their personal data. So I think for
1: GDPR, to me it means control. Interesting, GDPR means control. And then if it is about control, how does digital identity play a part? Because control is about me and control mm-hmm. is about my data. And we talk a lot about digital identity and you do, do such a fascinating work in that space. So where does this digital identity privacy come into play?
2: Well, I think at the, what what users are not really used to is the fact that for you know, probably close to a hundred years, and throughout the industrial age, corporations have have owned and managed our data, and we have been um, uh, victims, to say the least, of of, of what they want to do with it. And I think GDPR gives us back control. So in digital identity, that means to me that, um, and, and my philosophy and our corporation's philosophy is all about that we believe a, a individual is, has a basic human right to own and manage and control and, and even benefit from their, from their identity and their personal data. So to us, a GDPR is all about that ability, giving us back that control.
1: So do I get it right? Because this is an important concept and many people don't understand what is a digital identity. Mm-hmm. So me as a person have some personal data which is available in digital form. And that digital identity needs to be protected. So when I'm talking about protecting my privacy, it's about protecting that digital identity of mine, which in essence helps me protect myself. Is that the digital identity? I think that
2: is certainly a a vast majority of it, but we're already seeing countries like Canada, um, the, the UK, EU, Australia, moving away from paper and plastic based identity And moving to a digital form now i I didn't say electronic i did say digital right so um i'm in canada so um canadians were able to take a copy of a covid credential issued by the government and put it in a wallet that is electronic that is taking an existing document and just taking a copy of it electronically and putting it somewhere those documents can generally be altered they can be um Uh, change they can be uh, fraudulently issued we start talking about digital identity we're talking about the the relationship between an individual or an entity an issuer an issuer being let's say like a government that will issue a digital identity or digital um, mobile driver's license and and further to the last uh, part of it is how a verifier someone who wants to verify that i am the owner of that digital identity um, exists. So we think of it as a trust triangle relationship between uh, an identity holder, a verifier, and an issuer.
1: So it's basically taking the digital data about me and taking it next step that when I'm interacting with a device or a website or any any asset Mm -hmm. or anything, to verify that it's me interacting with it, that is the digital identity verification we are talking about.
2: That is that is very much so, but but it's not just in an online world, it's also in an offline world. So let me give yeah. you an example. If I walked into a store today to purchase a, a bottle of liquor or a package of cigarettes or um, cannabis or vaping products or adult uh, products, I might be required to provide identity that assures the clerk that I am of age to purchase that product. Now, traditionally, we've shown up with a driver's license. It's amazing. You know, we learn to drive and then our driver's license becomes that ubiquitous product that we show everywhere around the world to say, I am who I say I am. But we all know that many driver's licenses, unfortunately, can be fraudulently issued. They they might be expired. So if a clerk is actually reviewing a driver's license that may be fraudulent or expired, um, they, they, are, they and that business is at risk of, of breaking the rules or the laws. So digital identity can provide an assurance that the individual meets the requirements for restriction or entry or access without ever divulging personally identifiable information, therefore meeting the requirements of GDPR. So it's not only on the online world also in the real or offline world as well
1: so so basically developing on our understanding from the data we have the identity about whether it's me it's also authenticating me to access that service without giving the data it's only an authentication and am i entitled to this service or not
2: yes and we call that a predicate proof so so it is it is and and, and the the venue or the 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 um the verifier could ask for additional information, but that is at the option of the holder. But digital identity allows me to prove who I am without ever giving up my digital, my, my personally identifiable information or PII. So, so a clerk would know that I met the assurance requirements to purchase that item, um, but uh, did not have to divulge to them my name, my address, my eye color, you know, my, you know my sex on the uh, on the on the item or my birthday, It only tells them that I have met the assurance levels to to purchase that product. And and again, it can be used in healthcare. It can be used in education. I mean, one of the big items with digital identity today is thinking about education. Um, I've been very fortunate. I actually um, for two years sat on the electoral college of the University of Toronto. But so we I, I understood the inner workings of the of the university, which is one of the, the the largest universities in the world and at the end of the day we've got to look at young students who are taking exams today remotely especially in the in the wake of covid and and the changing educational landscape how do we know that you know um john or jane were the right people taking those exams and receiving academic credit um, even more so so that's for a university entrance or an exam at university but even more so think about professional accreditation how do I know the doctor is taking online courses that will make them a better doctor? How do I know that, that someone who's taking a transport um, license or uh, a, a re on a transport license or a profession, some type of professional accreditation? Because um, all of this can lead to bad things happening. If I allow a person underage to purchase liquor in a bar and then they cause an accident, there could be liability issues to the venue that sold that liquor to that underage person. So digital identity combined with biometrics provides a high levels of assurance that the individual is who they say they are, and that the verification process was put in place to create that assurance levels for those. That's interesting.
1: Levels. That's interesting. So it goes far beyond privacy, far beyond security, exactly. rather. It helps enable trust while protecting privacy while keeping the data with exactly. one entity
2: and that's why i said control at the beginning because yeah. it gives me control over my data and over my personal identity so so it does it, it just and that i believe and whether it's um gdpr or it's the pan canadian uh, trust framework or it's the ccpa the california consumer protection act or the, um, and I think it's the ACT in Australia, those, those, those regulatory bodies and regulations are, have been put in place to give consumers back their rights over their data. And, and that has affected major corporations. I mean, I'm sure you can see today what's happening with Google and privacy and third party cookies. I mean, they, they keep trying to introduce something new like topics to try and deal with these issues. But effectively, you know, um, when we thought originally that corporations had data and consumers were at the end of a spoke from this hub, it's actually turned inside out. And now consumers are the hub and all my connections are the spoke. So I need to have that control to, to meet those requirements um, of, of privacy and or
1: um, digital identity. Makes sense, makes sense. So how did you get into this field? I mean, I'm getting curious because this is such a deep, vast field. I mean, there's privacy, there's security, there's trust, and then all that combining into giving control to the uh, user. How did you get into this field?
2: Well, my first foray in the Internet in in the late 90s was I wanted to build an Internet mall. And in Canada, there was no way to create e-commerce. So I convinced MasterCard and Visa that we could create a way to to, um, allow Canadians to shop online by typing in their credit card information. There were all Mm -hmm. kinds of other opportunities. So I've been in the Internet space for a long time, and I've worked in artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing. Um, I've run an incubator. But in 2016, I basically left all my um, other enterprises and said, I really want to focus on something I want to do. And I saw the emergence of blockchain and and obviously the emergence of GDPR. And I I like to say, if you're a fan of the cartoon, The Simpsons, Homer Simpsons is a big fan of donuts. And I like to say Homer Simpson looks for donuts and I look for holes. I look for what's missing. And my premise at the time was that I believed not, I went, didn't want to focus on cryptocurrency. I wanted to focus on another aspect of blockchain. And we believe that digital identity was a massive growth industry with massive reach. I mean, there's 5 billion people online, and the internet initially wasn't built to manage privacy so and, pro, and manage individual users' um, rights. So we believe that digital identity was a massive opportunity, but we also looked at the industry very carefully and saw that many corporations that were entering the market were going B2B. We wanted to go C to B2B. We want to start with the consumer as the anchor point because ultimately if you start with digital identity and privacy you need to effectively manage the assurance levels that come out of the consumer
1: mm-hmm. so when you talk about starting with consumer what does it mean for the consumer so so we've developed we have something called the liquid avatar verifiable credential ecosystem
2: and that is a mouthful that is a big mouthful we call it the lab c and the lab c, has uh, services for all three parties in that trust triangle, the the holder, the verifier, and the issuer. But particularly for the consumer, we believe that consumers, if they can control and manage and, and their digital identity, they can benefit from that. So we don't only have a wallet platform, we have a platform that allows them to partake of other services and opportunities based on the things they want to do, knowing that corporations want to interact with them as a real person because it's more efficient for the corporation. There's less breakage, less spillage from a marketing standpoint, and that the corporations will provide them with benefits, either discounts, cashbacks, other services, based on the fact that they are a real person. They've been verified. So we look at the consumer. What value can the consumer bring to an equation and how can they benefit from that value?
1: And if we roll back a bit, mm-hmm. you also mentioned that it's B2C. Is it B2B also?
2: Yes, because, again, if you think of that triangle and you think of the issuer, the verifier, they are the B2B. This does not work. And, and I'll give you a perfect example. I think this is. Yeah, we, uh, let's do that. Yeah. So, so, Puneet, if you walked into a store today and made a purchase, you would say, okay, I want to pay. There's many different ways to pay, but I want to pay, let's say, by I, I'm I, I'm going to use a debit card for our US friends because we know that that most countries around the world that have chipped enabled cards require a pin for both debit and credit, but in mm-hmm. the US, it's only for debit right now. So so what what I would do is say I want to purchase using my debit card, right? And I would tap, swipe, or insert my debit card. In a machine, the machine being the verifier, the merchant's machine, the issuer the bank would talk to the verifier. It would talk to me on that machine and tell me to insert my PIN to verify that I am who I say I am. Mm -hmm. So it is a triangle relationship between myself, the cardholder, the merchant being the verifier, and the bank that issued that card being the issuer. And when that transaction is complete, the transaction dissolves, it's recorded on a ledger. And I can leave with my goods and services. Is that fair? That's fair. That's very clear. Okay. right. We treat identity the same way. We have developed tools and services that allows a merchant to carry their identity in a wallet, that that identity, when they go into a venue or a store or a location or online, they can pass that credential, the verification to the verifier. And the issuer can verify that that party exists. The trigger or pin is a biometric, a facial check to ensure that the user is a user. So we've set up the same triangular relationship of the three parties that you would expect to see in a financial transaction, making it simple and easy to use. So for our ecosystem to work, we must have all three parties aligned. Now they don't all have to be our customers because we work within an open standards environment. As long as everyone that is in that open standards environment, and there are many organizations and many companies like like Diff and Trust over IP and, and OpenID that all work within the same ecosystem open standards, and they are interoperable to, to a great extent, we can involve a lot of different organizations, businesses,
1: and practices
2: in that ecosystem.
1: That's interesting. But when we talk to some people, especially those who are not digital minded or as mm-hmm. much digital minded as the world is right now, mm-hmm. they would say it's too late to protect my personal data. Sure. And I don't have anything to protect. I'm a very open guy. So how do you convince or what argument do you use to convince them that why is the personal data protection important for them and why do they need to get into this ecosystem that we're talking about
2: and, and and i that is a great question so we're all used to the fact that if and i've i had this happen to me in in um january that my corporate card for the business was compromised and i i, I mean i used it in december and in january it was compromised and and so i've fallen victim to this a number of times and and I, we're very fortunate because the bank says, well, you didn't do the transaction, we'll protect you, right? So that has been a stopgap because digital identity did not exist because the technology wasn't there. So that alone, that and we think about that as the primary situation. Why am I going to have to worry because the bank protects me? It's not a problem. But that problem of, of credit card and financial services, um, uh, misuse, theft, Uh, whatever you want to call it, is a $30 billion problem globally every year. In North America alone, it's $9 billion. I can assure you in talking to the the payment networks, they are now all looking at digital identity because they're saying, if we can reduce that $9 billion or $30 billion issue to a, a pittance of what it formerly was, digital identity makes sense. So financial institutions will lead with that, educational institutions, government institutions. Think about all the people who are non bank Think about India and the Adar card. These are all active opportunities to not not necessarily follow people and have a big brother effect, but to give people the power, the, the, the enablement, to prove that they are there themselves so they can benefit from things that will happen. The other thing I will say is businesses are looking at digital identity, especially when it comes to the metaverse, because they want only good actors in this new environment. It is a reset. Web 3.0 is a reset for businesses, allowing them to say, I'm not just gonna spend money to reach a million people and not know who they are anymore and waste all my money reaching fakes and bots and hacks. I wanna know that the people I am spending money to reach and on advertising are real people. So we're seeing this as a top-down Business, government, educational driver, but for the consumer, especially the young consumer, it means that they're going to grow up with this new service. I always like to say that if you gave a two-year-old or a three-year-old a magazine, put it in front of them, they're going to swipe the front cover. They're not going to turn the pages. So they're already been attuned to changing their habits. It is it is a change in habits that will make this work, and Web
1: 3.0 and the metaverse are going to lead those change in habits. So I'll come to Metaverse and Web 3.0 in a moment. But I had another question around when you mentioned different countries. Mm -hmm. Do you see the adoption of these new technologies, the digital identity, the verification and so on, being higher in some countries versus some other regions? Or is it all across the globe the same? So that is... that is that
2: that is a question that we're dealing with we're doing work in the travel industry and uh, working with leading organizations and um, we're looking at what um, the uh, international civil Air aeronautics uh, organization is doing and what most people aren't aware of is that most passports that are recently being issued have a have an nfc chip in them right so it right. allows right so so the 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 current thinking is it may take up to 30 years for every country to come on board with new nfc biometrics biographic information it's not all going to happen at once but it's going to be it's going to be like pareto's law it's going to be an 80 20 rule right it's going to be that um 80 of travelers come from 20 percent of the countries globally and those will be the first adopters so i think this is it took us 25 years approximately approximately to get to where we are in the, in, in the internet, then the, you know, if you look at Moore's law, it's not going to take us 25 years to get to the next level. So yeah. I think it's going to be an acceleration. Why it's going to be acceleration? Because it's going to prove to be a value and cost savings for businesses. And it's going to, and as consumers start to latch on to the ability that I own my identity, I, I need to make, keep my private information private. That is going to become a snowball
1: effect. Interesting. And now let's go back to the concept of metaverse. First, let's sure. start basic. What do you mean by metaverse for a layman? So I think I think of a metaverse as an
2: as an interactive space. Um, it could be an interactive classroom, it could be an interactive game. And we've been playing in the metaverse for a while Um, Microsoft, uh, you know, re, a few years ago, purchased Minecraft. Minecraft is considered one of the first metaverses. Um, they just purchased Blizzard with World of Warcraft. You know, Epic has Fortnite. There are a lot of metaverses that will start off within the gaming space because there are large groups of people that have some affinity attraction to to doing something, and it is immersive. Um, but when we think of the long-term play of the metaverse, it is going to be um, fully immersive. not 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 web immersive, but it will be glasses immersive or... I don't want to get futuristic or implant immersive i mean i you know we go right down that that you know move from the sanity line and cross over into beyond that but but it will be a different way of consumption of digital information that's the way to think about it we have gone from encyclopedias the written word and magazine to now the electronic word it will be a combination of going from from uh, a read and, and a write and a share to immersive experiences. So when I think of the metaverse, I think of immersion into a digital realm that will allow me to have a multi-sensory experience um, uh, for consumption of, of information and, and, and other opportunities.
1: But if I hear that, that has been an evolution for the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, I the online communities, we are talking about the online groups. Okay, the experience may not be as sophisticated as what we are talking, but mm-hmm. talking about the video games, that experience already exists. There are online gamers. You go, join, play right. and have fun and experience with them. You don't need f- friends per se. And then you make new friends and then you join them at dedicated time. So that metaverse has technically mm-hmm. been existing for a long time. Well, yeah,
2: I mean, the the word metaverse comes uh, was, I think, uh, uh, Neil Stevenson's uh, book, Snow Crash, which came out about uh, seven or eight years ago. So maybe a little longer. So the metaverse isn't a new word. And we've been we've been talking about it now for three or four years. But sort of like if you think about the word submarine, Jules Verne talked about submarines before submarines existed. So so, you know, if you think about the flip phone, right, the original flip phone. Was that a star trek communicator um, from the 1960s so you know um life imitates art right so yeah so if life imitates art then the metaverse does exist in some way today but we're going to see um an explosion because because technology 5g uh larger bandwidth higher computing power um the 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 metaquest goggles and the HTC goggles All these things are going to give us Google Glasses, the next version version of Google Glasses or Apple Glasses, are going to give us opportunities, new opportunities to uh, uh, immerse ourselves in technologies that we didn't have before. It's also um, quantum computing and other things that are going to make things faster and easier to do. Um, So I think the metaverse, while
1: it's not a brand new term, it is one that is gaining speed. Indeed, and I think it has gained more prominence after Mark Zuckerberg talked about it and everybody now. And with the name Facebook changing to meta, people are yeah. starting to associate more yeah. and more. But that also leads to privacy challenges mm-hmm. because people, some of the proponents are like, no, you'll be digital, digitally anonymous, no need to worry, just create a profile, be there. But that's in the gaming sense. But if you have to be truly in the metaverse that we're talking about and the way we are, exp- uh, at least expecting it to grow, there will be concerns around privacy or how do I manage my identity? Because when you are on a digital device, a lot of data is being collected, a lot of uh, surveillance is happening. So how does one protect the, say, personal data or its a, his or her own identity in context of a metaverse? Are those concerns real or unfounded?
2: Well, I, I, I believe they're, 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 they're real. I, I do believe they're real because because people are willing to give up anything for anything. I mean, because mm-hmm. we we don't, um, as I said, there will be a shift to the value of, of personal data and privacy. But um, companies like ourselves have developed technologies, just like we can walk into a store and not give a clerk our, our driver's license means we can walk into a, virtually walk into a metaverse and not give anyone information except the fact that we are confirming we're a real person because the government of Canada said, I am a real person. Right. Again, that, that, that relationship between the verifier, the individual and the, um, uh, the, the card, the, um, uh, issuer. So, so it's back to the same situation that, um, on a predicate proof, I can determine how much information I give out. And I think we go back to, and we're t- treating the metaverse like we're treating walking into a store to buy a bottle of liquor and, and, others are starting to do the same but here's the other side of the 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 proverbial coin that makes sense i walk into a um in the metaverse i walk into a restaurant or a um a venue and i purchase something in which my avatar my digital twin of myself consumes i might get just like in super mario or in in any game i might get a power up for that but if i set my permissions the way that the vendor would accept, I might be able to receive a coupon in the offline world to go and purchase that item physically in a store. So there are all new ways to connect the parties together that create value and benefits to each other. And we're talking, we ought not only have our own metaverse as a, as a pilot program, but we're talking to other metaverses about creating unified or verifiable credentials that will allow users to control their data and their privacy, but allow metaverses to create opportunities
1: for those users. But then in a metaverse, I believe it would also be possible for me to create multiple digital identities of myself and behave or act differently in different groups or different metaverses in that sense. Would that be feasible? Well, the answer is yes and no.
2: (laughs) Yes, for was obvious. (laughs) <laughs> but okay. how do you say no? <laughs> okay so yes is so let me give an example in, in one metaverse because there will be more than one. in one metaverse, I am uh, I look like a tiger. In another metaverse, you know I look like a, uh, a football player. In another metaverse I, I, I'm at school and I dress in my school uniform. that those are avatars. They're all digital representations of myself, but they're all tied back to a single identity. Mm-hmm. So if I'm bad, I'm bad, right? Because my identity, it, it, my it, wherever I am, that connects to my digital identity. So it's not about creating digital identities. It's creating digital
1: personas of a single identity. That's an important term you mentioned, digital personas of the same identity. Mm-hmm. So the person is one, but the personas, the virtuals are many. The virtual avatars are many.
2: But we are the same in the real world. I yeah. I am the sum of my parts. You know, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a, a son. I'm a brother. I, you know, I am a business person. I am a gamer. I am a comic book collector. Those are different personas of my individual self being David Lukacs. And when I do things, um, yes, today I have the opportunity to have different identities in each one of those, but if there was a single point of contact For my individual digital identity, um, which I gave out no personally identifiable information, that means they're all interconnected, they're all interoperable.
1: That's interesting. We have had a fascinating conversation, but let's move to another part of our conversation that is uh, some uh, choice questions. So if you were to choose to live in a metaverse world versus the old world wherein there was no digital world, which one would you choose? wow
2: that is a really tough question i i i i I love technology i'm 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 you know i'm fortunate i'm approaching 60 this year and 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 so i love the digital world i'm a i'm a comic book collector so i still like the old world the paper-based world but i do collect digital comics as well so i i think it's hard for me to say whether i'd have one foot two feet in one or one foot in both but but i think um i think progress um, if done properly,
1: um, uh, brings all of mankind forward. Sure. So when we go a bit into these metaverses and the new world, and if we have to choose between speed of innovation and keeping in mind ethics and privacy and so on and so forth, where would you put your money on?
2: Ethics, privacy, and so forth. That it's was a straight one. <laughs> that one—it's—it's it's the old story of the tortoise and the hare, the fable of the tortoise and the hare, right? Yeah, the tortoise always who wins. At, who won out, the tortoise?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. And now, probably in different one. We talk about privacy. We talk about security. And we also, some of us say that there's no privacy in it without security. But if we were to invest. And investment decisions, there's no right or wrong, and we have to make choices. If we have hundred thousand to invest in privacy or security, not and, where would you put your money on
2: hundred thousand? Privacy, because privacy would purchase security, security couldn't purchase privacy.
1: Wonderful. So now, based on this conversation that we had, if someone wants to know more about your work and your, uh, or wants to contact you. For maybe a commercial conversation or anything, what should they do? How can they approach you? How can they connect with you?
2: Well, I think the first thing to do is, is look at our website, liquidavatartechnologies.com. There's a contact form there. I'm also David Lukacs, and there's only one of me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, and uh, I, you know, I do answer all, of our team answers all the inquiries on the website. And I am very quick to answer on LinkedIn. Um, so so that's probably the best two ways to get me.
1: And if we were to explain the liquid technologies in uh, one or two sentences, what would that be? What can you do for someone?
2: So we empower individuals and entities to manage control and benefit from the digital identity. But to do so, we have to work with verifiers being organizations and brands and issuers Um, some being the same in government and and organizations that uh, support that. So we look at at all three parties in a trust relationship, the issuer, the verifier, and the holder of identity. Interesting.
1: So, David, it was a privilege to have you and wonderful to have this conversation. All I can say is thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you. It It was a real pleasure, Puneet. Real pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Fit for Privacy helps you to create a culture of privacy and manage risks by creating, defining, and implementing a privacy strategy that includes delivering scenario-based training for your staff. We also help those who are looking to get certified in CIPPE, CIPM, and CIPT through on-demand courses that help you prepare and practice for certification exam. Want to know more? Visit www. Fitforprivacy.com. That's www.fit the number four privacy.com. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, feel free to share it with a friend and write a review. If you have already done so, thank you so much. And if you did not like the show, don't bother and forget about it. Take care and stay safe. Until next time, goodbye. If you have questions or suggestions, Feel free to drop an email at hello at fit That's hello at F-I-T, the number four, privacy.com.